0: All right, the first thing I have in my notes here is this, is this uh, phrase here, "Life is hard." Any amens on that? Yeah. Okay, life is hard. Life is hard. If you're living, if you're breathing, if you woke up this morning and if you woke up yesterday and if you wake, you realize, life is hard, and life is hard, really for all people. Life is hard for you even when you follow Jesus. Life. Is hard. We've said it before, and because Jesus said it, and in this life, you're going to have trouble. And he is a God that he should not lie, and he doesn't lie. In this life, there is trouble. Life is hard. Even for people who have committed their lives to be instruments of God's peace. Like the Apostle Paul, for instance. Check out this guy's life. This, this is a guy who gave it all for the gospel. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. This is because he was being the hands and feet of Jesus, because he was preaching the gospel that would set people free, that would connect them, reconnect them to the creator of the universe. And he gets beaten with rods three times. Once I was pelted with stones. And you're like, well, somebody threw a rock at me once when I was a kid. No, no, no. For Paul, pelted with stones means he was stoned. People took big rocks, threw them at his head, left him for dead. He was pelted with stones. And he he goes on, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. So the Apostle Paul was imprisoned. He was left for dead many times. But it was from a prison cell that he wrote four of his letters. And we're about ready to read one of those letters called Philippians. So welcome back to Mission 27. It's our our mission. It's our journey through the 27 books of the New Testament. I want to remind you kind of how this Mission 27 goes. And that is, is that I'll introduce a book. I'll talk about one of the books of the New Testament on a Sunday morning. Give you kind of an overview, just a little taste, you know, kind of try to hook you for what purpose so that then you will spend the next week reading through that book once, twice, however many times you can do it. Why? Because it's important that we get full perspective. You know, when you read a letter from somebody, let's say it's a three page letter, do you just go, you know what, I'm going to read this sentence over here, this sentence here, and this sentence here, and then I'm going to pack it up and put it away. And I'll go back and read a couple other sentences a couple months from now. You know, No, you read it cover to cover. You read the whole letter. Why? Because there's an entire message that we only get when we read the letter from beginning to end. And so the Lord is speaking to us this year through these letters, through these books of the New Testament. So you're just going to get kind of, I'm going to wet your whistle just a little bit. I'm going to prime the pump. And then all week long, you're going to be in the book. Philippians I believe that the theme of this letter is found in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 that says this Rejoice in the Lord always And again, I say rejoice Joy Rejoicing the title of today's message is living in the joy of Jesus and isn't that what we all want you want a little bit of that Living in the joy of Of Jesus it's what we have it's what we can have every single day even in a world that slaps us upside the head that pulls the rug out from underneath us that disappoints us we can be living in the joy of Jesus we have so much to be thankful for we have so much to be joyful for but what happens we get there every once in a while but then all of a sudden the busyness of life happens again The craziness of life happens. The pressure of life happens. The distractions of life come at us strong and heavy. Distractions. Anybody have any of those in their pocket right now? Distractions of life come at us fast and furious. And what's the result of that? Our joy gets robbed. We lose our joy. It gets lost in all the craziness. It gets squeezed right out of us. And then what do we do? We get desperate for joy because we want joy. Because joy is is good, and it's okay to want those things that are good like joy. And so we lose our joy because of the craziness of the world. Then we go looking for our joy, but we go looking for it in all the wrong places. We look for it in ourselves and in the world. We look for it in money. If I just made a little bit more money, I'll get my joy back. We look for it in entertainment. You know what? It was a hard day. I'm just going to veg. Anybody do that? I'm raising my hand. What a stupid thing to do. I'm just going to go immerse myself in garbage, you know, because I feel like garbage. And you, know, what are we doing, y'all? We're looking for joy, but we're looking in all the wrong places. We look for joy in our careers and success. You know what? If people just think I'm all that in a bag of chips, then, then I'm going to have joy because I'm the big man. I'm all that, right? No, no. We look for joy, and today, the, this world's looking for, let me tell you, if, if y'all didn't watch the, the, the short little Daily Dose, the video I, I just put out there, to, that message to, uh, to those in our culture in our world who are struggling from um, gender confusion, just just go watch it. My heart is breaking for people right now. We have an epidemic in our nation of people who've lost their joy. They've lost their identity. They're hurting. They're broken. And they're looking in all the wrong places. And the enemy's taking advantage of them. None of these places provide lasting joy. When I think of joy, I think of bacon. <laughs> and it feels like there's some temporary joy in eating bacon. But if I eat too much bacon, what happens? I die. I die, so it, it, when we look for joy in the wrong places, sometimes it can taste good and seem good, and, but too much, is, you're going to die, you're going to die, bacon, I love bacon, maybe we can have some bacon for lunch today, <laughs> just bacon, and maybe, you know, a BLT sandwich with a lot of B, a lot of bacon, <laughs> a little bit of lettuce, no tomato, because I really don't like tomato, um, anyway. It's Father's Day, so maybe, that, maybe I'll get it. So <laughs> listen to this. So as believers, we shouldn't be struggling with joy. We, we shouldn't be, but there's a lot we shouldn't be doing, right, even as believers. But we shouldn't be struggling with joy, but most of us do. So what we're going to look at in, in the letter to the Philippians is where to find joy and how to maintain the joy that we have. You all ready for this? Philippians is going to help us. And and what's amazing is is that, again, Paul wrote this letter about joy from prison. He's imprisoned, and he's writing about joy. And and when I think about that, I think sometimes I let the smallest little insignificant, stupid little things rob me of my joy. Paul's in prison. He's writing, writing about joy. I'm driving down the 202 on Thursday after going to a pastor's meeting. I mean, it, it's the Capitol um, Ambassador Network meeting. I go, I'm, I, I'm doing God's work, man, and I'm driving down the 202 and right on my windshield that got replaced a month and a half ago, crack. Oh, what's wrong with this? I don't know. <laughs> the smallest little things we can lose our joy and start getting all raw about stuff Paul's in prison he's writing about joy you know when you're reading through Philippians this week I want you to uh, let the Holy Spirit do some work in you and reveal what are some things that you're allowing that seem to just keep robbing you of joy What, what are those little things Those little foxes those little joy stealer robbers or whatever that are in your life that come and just snatch your joy from you let the holy spirit stir that up and reveal those things so that you can lay those things down and go ah what am i doing man jesus is on the throne my my future is secure what does this little rock and broken windshield have to do with any of that anyway anyway so let the Holy Spirit, when you're reading God's Word, man, is, is God speaking. That's the time when you need to be listening for the voice of God and letting the Holy Spirit minister to you and through you. You're in His Word, man. So that's my prayer this week, is that you really would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about joy. What are those things robbing you of your joy? And then notice that, that as Paul says, we can have joy even when things aren't perfect. Even when we're getting ripped off in this world, we can still maintain our joy. So what I want to see happen this week is a church where we're getting our joy reset. We're having a reset in the area of joy. You know that that God wants us to be full of joy. Peace, patience, kindness, all these things. It's the fruit of the Spirit, man. It's, It's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in step with the Spirit. Joy is one of those pieces of the puzzle. So let's turn to Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God, Paul says. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Point number one, how do we find joy? There's finding joy together. We read through the book Philippians, where do we find joy? We find it, believe it or not, together. You're looking around and going, dude, I don't even like that person across the room. That's why I'm sitting on the other side of the room from them. But, beloved, I'm telling you, we find joy when we do this life in Christ together. So chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 really talk about this. Now, how many of you, you're going you're gonna to let me know how old you are. Remember that, that song, one is the loneliest number. I mean, that's like 40, 50, maybe even 60-year-old song. I don't even know what it is. Here's the deal. You know, being alone can sometimes be a big blessing and can sometimes bring our joy if we're around people a lot, right? But if you have to live your life alone, that's a hard place to be. That's a hard, hard place to be. But, beloved, we're not alone. You're not alone. You're part of a family. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're part of a family, an eternal family, the heavenly family. You're not alone. You have brothers and sisters now. You're not alone. You have co laborers You have partners in this thing called life. And when you embrace that and you see that and you understand that and you walk in it and you engage in that way that you're not alone, I'm going to tell you what, it opens the door to joy. Paul found joy because Paul wasn't alone. And could it be that so many of believers today, so many of us are robbed of joy because we become isolated? Again, I pull this out, isolated. I'm grateful for for online church and live stream and all that because there are times when people are sick. Dude, if you're sick and you're sitting over the toilet right now, I really don't want you here in this room with us. But I'm grateful that you can be watching this online or watching this later. But that's not an ongoing exchange for real life together as the body of Christ. You know, social media and, 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 and the relationships we have out there in the social media environment. Man, we got to be careful. We can become isolated so quickly. And when we do, we're jeopardizing our joy. So many of us are robbed of joy because we aren't engaged with our church family in the ministry of the gospel in kingdom work. There's a joy that that happens when we do God's work. There's a joy that only happens when together we are bringing His kingdom to this broken and hurting world. There's a joy, there's a component of joy that you will not experience apart from that. And Paul writes... I'm so thankful for you. I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in what? Just because you were there when I had a bad day and you gave me a sandwich? No. I'm grateful for you. I'm filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, in the work of Christ in being ambassadors of Christ, in in being salt and light, that we're in this together. We're doing something that's eternal, something that's big, something that's not of this world yet affects this world, that's pulling people out of darkness from the pit of hell into the marvelous light through Christ Jesus. There's a joy that happens when we partner together in that that we will not experience apart from that. But here's the reality for Paul. Most churches, most churches that he ministered to, most churches that he planted, that he started, that he poured his life into, that he sacrificed so much for, didn't show him the love. Read his letters, man. It's like a spiritual father with a heartache. Most of his letters are, except this one. He poured his life out. Instead of getting that from most churches, instead of getting honor, and they forgot about him. Paul, out of love, trying to correct them and challenge them and get them back on course, and they get offended by it. They write them off. They look for some other flashy dude who's coming through town and go, man, we want to follow that guy. We like what he's saying and how he makes us feel. We get the warm and fuzzies and the goosebumps from that person. Paul, he's just telling us to watch out for this and watch out for that and stop doing this and stop doing that, you know. And I believe that so many Christians today are so ripped off Because they jump from church to church. Because they don't stick it out in relationship, in partnership, in the gospel. Because they get their feathers ruffled a little bit. Because they get a little bit of challenge. Because somebody says something a little different than they wanted them to say it. And they go, I'm going to go look for somebody who's going to say it the way I want it said. And so we have a lot of Christians with, with very shallow roots in the body of Christ and in the ministry of the kingdom. That was extra credit, by the way. That was not in my notes. That just happened. Just happened. So, but the Philippians, they partnered with Paul. They didn't just honor Paul, which they did honor him and appreciated him greatly, but they partnered with him even so much that they were the one church that financially really supported him, that came alongside of him. Then supported him financially. You know what? Look at this. We often think, oh, Paul, he was bivocational. And that's like the the spiritual way to minister, is to raise your own support and not put that burden on the church. I'm I'm going to submit to you the reason Paul was bivocational is because the church was not supporting him. And you can read it in his writings. They were not caring for him, and so he had to spend half of his time with Priscilla and Aquila making tents, selling homes, whatever it might be, in order to make ends meet. He wasn't going to beg for the money. He wasn't going to beg the church for that, but here he has, in Philippi, a church that was partnering with him, that was coming alongside of him, that recognized what he sacrificed, what he brought to the body of Christ, and said, we're in it with you, Paul. We honor you for what you've done. And we're going to support you. We're going to come alongside of you. So Paul was filled with joy to have some real partners in the gospel, those who stuck with him through the thick and through the thin. So Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to look around the room. Just look around. It won't be weird. Everybody's going to be doing it. And I'm telling you to do it. So Look around. These are the people who are your partners. Partners in the kingdom. They're your partners. You can look at You can say, what's up, partner? You can say that if you want. If that's all weird and all that kind of stuff, then don't do it. I'm not looking for you all to do something weird and totally uncomfortable. This one isn't that important. But anyway, These are the people. You want more joy? Get connected with these people. You want more joy? Get connected with these people. Play some cards. Have some dinner with them. Yes. But I'm talking about let's get more connected in partnering in the gospel in partnering in bringing God's kingdom to this broken world. Let's get connected and partnering with each other in the place of prayer, in the place where God shows up and moves in power. Let's experience some God moments together because we're truly partnering in the things of God together. We're not just talking about it. We're not just reading about it. But we're doing the kingdom life together. That's why Paul opening up this letter is so filled with joy, because there's a group of people that, that actually were in it with him, and they were having some amazing joy-filled experiences as a result. I was at dinner Thursday night with some of those who've been serving here at Evident Life Church for years and years. It just caught, caught my eye. Sean Donaldson caught my eye. I mentioned in our gathering, I said, Sean, it was nine years ago, and we started doing the I Help ministry. And we have so much joy. We have memories. I, I mean, I remember that time you came to my door with that, what, we'll, we'll preach for food or we'll, what was it? What was it? Something like that. And you were dressed in some funny-looking cotton coll- I don't know what it was, but we've had a lot of fun together. In, in being in this kingdom work together, and bringing the gospel together, in loving people together, and just being the church together, y'all, there's joy found in really being together as the people of God. Point number two, finding joy in trials. Again, we're still in, you're going to still be in chapter one, about verse 20, 12 through 26, So the question is this, can you maintain joy even when the wheels of life are falling off? Paul shows us that we can. Again, he was in prison, yet he maintained his joy. How did he do that? Well, let's check it out. Philippians 1.18. It lets us know that Paul maintained joy because he maintained the proper focus in his life. And it wasn't on the circumstances and what all the craziness going on around him. His focus remained somewhere else. Check it out, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That's what I want you to focus on right there. Christ is preached. Whatever's going on, whatever other people are doing, whatever their motives are, whatever the craziness is, Okay, they're they're off on this doctrine here. They're a little, little missing here. Okay, they're thinking about themselves. They really want the spotlight right now. Hey, whatever it is, all the craziness that's going on out here, all the nutty stuff that's happening, all the different motivations or whatever, you know what's important? That Christ is preached. And because of this, because Christ is preached, I rejoice. He didn't rejoice because he was comfortable. He didn't rejoice because he was the big man on campus. He didn't rejoice because he was always getting his way. Rather, he rejoiced because the gospel was being preached. Here's something else Paul said in verse 21. This is how he processed life. He said, for me to live is Christ. Just just stop, just look at that one statement right there. You know that's to die is gain. Okay, But to live, for me to live, the purpose for life, why I'm here, is Christ. It's Christ. At the end of the day, I don't care what else goes on, for me to live is Christ. It's perspective. What we're looking at is it's it's how we're processing life. Paul processed life through the gospel. He processed life through Jesus, not through the circumstances of life, not through his checkbook, pocketbook, bank account, whatever it might be. That wasn't the, the indicator about how good or bad life was. He kept his eyes on Christ, so he rejoices. He could always be joyful. You know, our world is so good at telling everybody, take care of yourself, and you'll be happy. you got to take care of yourself. you got to take care of yourself. And and you know what? That's a message that people like to hear. Yeah, it's about time I took care of myself. I've been taking care of these four kids all these these years. Now my youngest is 19. It's time to take care of myself. Now, man, what have I been doing? I need to take care of myself. I deserve a little something, right? Take care of myself. And if I do that, I'm going to be happy. Paul says, take care of the gospel, and no one and nothing can rob you of the joy that God has for you. For him to live as Christ. He rejoiced because Christ is preached, because the gospel is going out, because his focus was on something eternal, something, his, he was partnering with God, man. I was thinking about this. When we live for ourselves, our world gets so small. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you are finite. You're a finite being. Who, through Christ being redeemed, can live forever, but you're still finite. There is one who is infinite. There's only one who is infinite, and he is God. And so when you live for yourself, you are just bringing your world to something very small and finite. When your focus is you, everything gets small. And when everything gets small, then the smallest little wrinkle in your small little world, in your small little plans, is going to blow your world up. And where did your joy go? But man, when you live for God, your world gets bigger and bigger every single day. And the things of this earth get smaller and smaller. And the things that used to rip you off and used to mess you up, man, they just roll off your back. They just bounce off your windshield. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, I can't believe that happened. But I'm going to get over it, y'all. It's a small thing. I got a bigger world to live for here. The gospel. All right. Another thing to notice here, dying for Jesus isn't the true sacrifice for Paul. Man, we always think, man, being a martyr, if I die for Jesus, that's the big deal. No, no, no. Paul said that's not a big deal at all. That's a good deal. To die for Jesus, man, that's a good deal. That was not the sacrifice. And i want to say dying for Jesus isn't just like physically dying because you're standing for Jesus. Dying for Jesus means that you died for Jesus this morning. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. It means that you don't live for yourself anymore. That's dying. Have you died? Have you taken up your cross? Have you died, or are you still living for numero uno? Or are you living for numero uno? The one, the infinite one. Okay, so we get that back. But, so for Paul, the sacrifice wasn't to die for Jesus. No, 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 no. The sacrifice was staying alive. For the sake of the gospel, to serve others. And Paul chose the harder way, the Jesus way. Check this out in in verses 23 and 24. Paul says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and to be with Christ. How many of you desire that often? I do, man. I'm I'm just being honest with you. Lord, I just want to be with you. Whatever. I don't want to hurt, but I want to be with you anyway. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, And we're going to get to that and talk about why that probably shouldn't be our prayer here in a little bit. But, um. Paul says, I'm torn between two. I desire to part and to be with with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Why? Because his focus was on the gospel. It was on the mission that God has for this world, to seek and save the lost. And this is key to joy in all things. If you want to maintain joy in the midst of trials when the wheels are falling off of life, it's all about not living for ourselves, but living for Christ and for his mission. And you still got to go out and make a living, okay? I'm not saying you just sit in a room all day and la, 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 whatever. No, no, no. But you should sit in a room sometimes with other believers and pray. But, yeah, we got to go out. We got to make a living. Looking at Michael, you got you to put some roofs on, you know, repair some roofs. You got to do, do some work, man. You got to sweat. You got to, okay. but why are you really alive? The gospel. You're really alive for Christ and His mission. The key is not trying to advance ourselves, but looking to advance the gospel. Some of the happiest people in this world are people who advance the gospel, people who die with nothing, but they die with joy in their heart because they were all about God's mission I think of Mother Teresa. I don't know what you think about her doctrine and all that. I don't care what you think about. Nobody even thinks about what she thinks about doctrine and all that. What you saw there in Mother Teresa was a woman who was living a joy-filled life. She had very little to nothing on this side of heaven, but she was all about the mission of Christ on this earth. So are you living your life for yourselves or for Jesus? Here's the deal. Your indicator of whether you're living for yourself or for Jesus is joy. If you have little joy, you're probably living for yourself. If you have much joy, you're probably living for Jesus. See how that goes? If you struggle maintaining your joy, maybe it's because you struggle with maintaining your focus on Christ and on the gospel and on on the mission, the eternal mission of heaven. Maybe it's because you've allowed your world to get small and finite. Point number three, finding joy in Jesus. That's a no-brainer right there. That'll preach. Finding joy in Jesus. Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever life brings you, live in such a way as you're living in, in agreement with what? The gospel of Christ. And so what does Paul do in the middle of this whole joy-filled letter to these people that he loves so much and appreciates so much and he's really focusing on rejoicing and joy right in the middle of this letter he focuses on the gospel and he presents this amazing beautiful poem about christ and what he's done for us and it's 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 right here if we focus on what paul wrote here in this amazing poem in chapter two That we, if we can live in this reality and out of this reality, we will live in and out of that place of joy. So this amazing poem presents the gospel of Jesus. It does it by taking us all the way back to Adam's rebellion that's found in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And then it also highlights the suffering servant of Christ that's mentioned and, and prophesied of in Isaiah chapters 40 through 55. And this is what Paul writes in this epistle of joy. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You want joy? Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he says, of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name. That is, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that he is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God The Father. So Paul again puts the good news of the gospel of Jesus smack dab in the middle of this letter all about joy. Because Paul knows and he wants the church to know that true joy is found when we're centering our lives on Christ. Without that, you're never going to be able to grab joy. Never, never, never. But in addition to focusing our lives on Christ, Paul also in this letter, he's going to encourage us to live like Christ, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus. He even says to imitate Christ. And then Paul points out a couple guys who, who were doing that, He says, this guy Timothy and this other guy Epaphroditus, man, these guys are examples of men who understood that that we're called to live like Jesus. And so he highlights how Timothy was living like Jesus and imitating Christ and how he was doing this by serving others. You want joy? Be a giver, not a taker. Takers never have enough. So they never have joy. Timothy was an example of that. Then you have Epaphroditus. He was willing to risk his life. He did risk his life even communicating back and forth between Paul who was in prison and these believers in Philippi. Risk your life. Be willing to lay your life down for God, yes, but for one another as well. That's to live like Christ. Point number four, finding joy in losing. And everyone's like, ooh, that sounds like fun. Finding joy in losing. Chapters in chapter three, it really focuses on this. Look, I hate losing. By the way, let's just make this very clear. I hate losing. I coached basketball. I hated losing. I hated losing. I played golf on Friday, Friday afternoons, like the after three o'clock rate. It's blazing hot out there, but you know what? Ugh, we man up and we get out there and we play golf on Fridays. I do with my son Ben. I lost on Friday. I hated it. Ben, six. He won six holes. I won four holes, his buddy. I'm calling the eye to Isaac. He usually is much better than this, but he only won one hole that day, the 18th. I'm just saying, but I lost. I hate losing. I hate losing. If you ever play cards with me, just know I still love Jesus and I still love you, but I hate losing, and so I'm going to be competitive. <laughs> it's nothing about you, okay? I hate losing, man. I hate it. So, But God's ways are higher than my ways and your ways. And there's joy in losing. Check this out, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Look, I'm okay losing if in the process I gain Jesus. I'm okay losing if in the process you gain Jesus. I'm okay not having... what what I, quote, unquote, deserve in this world, if I have Jesus, and if you have Jesus, and if the gospel is going out. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. It's a man talking about joy. There's a lot of losing in death and in suffering. And then he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's joy in losing. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where's your victory? I'm alive in Christ. I have joy in the midst of all that stuff. I love the prayer of St. Francis. It ends with, with these statements. He says, for it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying, losing, in dying that we are born into eternal life. There can be a lot of joy in losing. We've got to understand that as believers. There's joy in losing. Not losing at golf or cards, but in these kind of things anyway. There's so much more to our story. That's why we can have joy even when we're losing on this side. There's so much more. Check this out. I want you to look at Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship, why can we have joy when when we're getting run over in this life? Because, look, our citizenship is in heaven. But now listen. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies, speaking of the resurrection of our bodies. You may feel beat up. Your body may be beat up right now, but you can have joy in the midst of that. You may be struggling with something that, that is life-threatening, but you can have joy in the midst of that because all of His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and we eagerly await our Savior. Check this out. I want you to, We're going to look at this passage just a little bit closer here. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Most people long to go to heaven, but not Paul. What's he longing for here? Paul longs for heaven to come to earth. Y'all, that's the end of the story, okay? The end of the story isn't you going to heaven. The end of the story is heaven coming to earth. That's where the excitement is. The end of the story is that Jesus is stepping down from heaven. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not broken. He's not on a cross. He's coming as a man who is going to make all things right and new again. And he's going to resurrect our broken, dead bodies. And we will reign and rule with him forever and ever and ever. And if we can't find joy in that, then I don't know where you're going to find joy. This is where Paul found joy. He eagerly was awaiting his Savior from heaven. He wasn't waiting to be rescued out of the pit of despair. He was waiting for his Savior to come and to kick some good old stuff and make all things new. It's called self-control, church. I'm modeling it right there. I don't know what Paul might have just said it, but I'm not going to do that. I don't have that kind of grace on me right now. And so that's why we don't say, oh, God, take me to heaven. What is the cry of heaven right now and what should be our cry? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of the saints. That's the cry of the elders and and all of those in heaven circling the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The eternal age. Man, when we have our eyes fixed on the return of Christ, joy starts to bubble up. Look at me. I'm I'm like excited. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to get out there. I mean, I got full of energy right here, right now. I'm ready to go beat my son in some golf right now, son. Where is he? Where is he? He's probably working in kid's life right now. He's lucky he's not listening to this. Maybe he is, but I got you. And finally, the final point, very quickly, finding joy and letting go. And I know it sounds like a lot about finding joy and losing, but there's a little bit of difference here. Finding joy and letting go, it's chapter 4, the final chapter of the book of Philippians. We find joy when we let go and we let God. I know that's just a cute little saying, let go and let God. And there's that song, Jesus, take the wheel. But, y'all, when we actually let Jesus take the wheel of our lives and drive and be in charge and be Lord, capital L, there's joy that comes with letting go and letting God be God. Not you anymore, but God, be God. There's joy that comes from that. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. 4. I will say it again, rejoice. Why do you have to say it again? Because, man, we struggle with that sometimes. It's good to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Y'all know you got to let go to be gentle. It's not my normal fleshly response to be gentle with others. I want to pop them in the face. You know what I'm saying? That's my normal, but you let go. And you let God be God in your life. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, y'all let go. You won't be. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to who? To God. Not to your attorney. There's a place for attorneys. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, present your request to God. Let God. Let go and let God. And the peace, when you you let go and you let God, the peace of God, which I'm going to say it the way I learned it, the peace of God that passes all understanding, the peace of God that we can't even comprehend in our flesh and in our own minds, it will actually guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We find joy and peace when we let go and we let God. Paul makes this famous statement, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can let go and I can let God, is what he's saying. No matter what's going on around me. No matter what's happening around me, I can maintain my joy. I can live in that place of faith no matter what's going on around me. Because I'm letting go and I'm letting God. I know who's in charge here. I'm living in an infinite reality. Not my little finite, all it's, about, it's all about me, reality. By the way, this passage about all things, I can do all things, gets misused so much. You all know that if you've been around. You understand that. Paul's just talking about he can be content in all situations no matter how bad it's getting. No matter how much it hurts, he can be content. He can do all things, even in prison, beaten with rods, whatever it might be. He can maintain his joy in the midst of that kind of thing. I read about an airplane pilot, and I, I told this story a, a while back, a few, several years ago. He was flying over, over Tennessee, and, and he, was, he pointed to a, to, down to a lake to, to his co-pilot. and He said, see that little lake? He said, when I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat. And I'd sit in a rowboat, and I'd look up at the sky, and planes would fly over. and I think, oh, man, I, just, I would love to be up there. And the pilot says to his co-pilot, now I fly over, and all I want to do is to be down there in a rowboat. But isn't it that way in life? Always that grass greener on the other side. We always want to be at that next place and next place. And we miss the joy of just being who we are in Christ right here and right now. And seeing His grace right here and right now. Seeing His sovereignty and His goodness in the middle of whatever it is. Whatever storm, whatever good, bad, indifferent, whatever's going on. There can be joy. In all things. How many of you know the verse right after, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Yeah, nobody's saying it. Verse 14 says, Yet I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can deal with whatever comes my way because Christ strengthens me. Yet it was good of you, believers, brothers and sisters, to share in my troubles. With that, let's stand up. Go ahead and stand. A reminder, once again, coming full circle in this letter, the importance that we're in this together. You know, that's some of God's grace that He has for your life. That's, that's, That's much of what He has given us to sustain us. When life is hard, it's one another. I can be content in all things, yet it was good of you to be there with me and for me to share in the mess that I'm in the middle of right now. My prayer is that we would be those people who wouldn't miss it, who wouldn't get ripped off anymore, but would be those people who would live in the joy of the Lord that's found in Christ and in Christ alone. That we would be those who are so fixated on Jesus and so about the Father's business that this messed up, hurtful world wouldn't have that ability to rip us off of our joy. My prayer is that as you read through Philippians this week, that you would rediscover the joy of the Lord, and that you truly would experience a reset of your joy.